Good evening, ladies. Thank you for coming out today. I happen to know there's a very important baseball game going on, so I appreciate you coming. And welcome to those online. I uh, can't wait until we see you again. So tonight we have Rahab, harlot or hero? We'll find out. But who was she? She was known as Rahab the harlot. Can you imagine? Throughout centuries, she's been known as Rahab the harlot. Even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament refers to her as, as Rahab the harlot, and the New Testament calls her Rahab the harlot. So, that, but that wasn't all that she was about. The Old Testament tells us the story of a woman who, according to society, she was kind of an outcast, very similar to the way she would be today. And many have tried to sanitize her life, saying that, well, she really wasn't a prostitute. I mean, after all, I mean, does say that she was a maker of linen. That's the, the hint that we got about the flax that she was drawing on her roof, as we'll learn about. Uh, that is for the purpose of making linen. She also, they said, well, she was an innkeeper. Uh, she managed an inn. But the Bible really doesn't gloss over at all who and what she was. And I think that is for a good reason. It's because it actually shows the, the redemption of God in our lives, how he can take someone like her and turn her into something beautiful. And it shows us just how merciful our God is. But before we get into her story, let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to learn about Rahab. Oh, what an amazing woman that you have put in your scriptures for the purpose of us learning about her. And Lord, I know it's because you want to tell the story of how much you love each one of us, that you can take uh, someone who is an outcast, uh, someone who's a prostitute, or someone who's a, a drug addict, or someone who's an alcoholic. You take all of us who are broken and wretched, Lord, and you turn us into something beautiful. And I love this story about Rahab as we learn about her. Would you just open up the scriptures to our hearts and our minds so that we can, in a sense, see ourselves in her and be able to trust in you as she did. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So a brief history lesson before we get into the story of Rahab, because I think it's very pertinent. So you remember the children of Israel had been rescued from Egypt and they were wandering around uh, and God parted the Red Sea and then he took care of them. He gave them manna, you know, he gave them water. He gave them anything they needed out there in the wilderness. And the whole purpose was they were going to travel to the promised land, the land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would get to, to go there, inhabit their own country, their own place, their own home. And when they arrived there, they to the, the Jordan River, looking into the promised land, they decide to send in scouts to, to look at the land and find out exactly what this place was all about. And they all came back with their report, and some, a lot of them said, oh, it's a scary place. You know, it's, 
it's a beautiful land, yes, but there's giants that are living there, and they're scary. We don't want to go in there. But uh, Joshua and Caleb, they said, oh, yeah, you know, sure, there's giants, but you know what? Our God is big, and our God has saved us from so many other things. What's the big deal? Let's just go on in, and let's take the land, and then we can enter into our promised land. But the people, they said, no, this is just too scary. You know, we've been through a lot, and and we really don't want to go into the promised land. And so they actually refused. So God says, okay, fine. I'll let you stay wandering in the wilderness. And it was a real wilderness that they wandered in. I mean, it's like desert. And he says, when your generation dies, then your children will be able to come into the promised land. So now 40 years has passed. Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. Moses has, has died. And Joshua says, okay, we're now back to the, the east side of the Jordan River. All they have to do is cross over the Jordan, and they're going to be in the promised land. And that is where our scripture takes up today, found in Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. So you see right away that the word is not pulling any punches. It's like she is a prostitute, okay? And the Israelites ended up at her house. And of course, that meaning has the same meaning today as it did back then. And it wouldn't have been unusual for travelers who are entering the, the town of Jericho to, to seek out accommodations. And we know it was an inn. We don't know what kind of inn it was. I mean, it could have been a house of ill repute. It doesn't really say anything about that. But anyway, uh, so they ended up at Rahab's house, verse 2. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to your house, for they have come to spy out the whole land. So apparently there were people who were nosy and they liked to gossip and they were watching who was going into Rahab's house. And we can use our imagination as to why. And when they saw two Israelites, two strangers, obviously not Canaanites, walking into uh, the town and into Rahab's house, they go, okay, we need to tell the officials about this. So they told the officials, the officials went straight to the king, and now the king is panicked because the Israelites had a reputation. Verse 4, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. So in other words, she lied. Okay, so let's look at this for just a moment. Is the Bible condoning lying here? No, 
Never in this account or any other account does the Bible say that lying is okay. But that being said, can we really expect Rahab, she's a Canaanite, she's a prostitute, is she really going to tell the truth all the time? She doesn't know the Ten Commandments. She doesn't know that God said, you shall not bear false witness. In other words, you shall not lie. And she didn't know these things. And so, you know, she did what comes naturally. She lied. So she lied to the, the people. Uh, that had come to her house to look for the spies. And she says, uh, no, they weren't here. You know, and then the king's man, you know, said, okay, they believed her. And uh, they went to try to find her. Verse seven, excuse me, find them. Verse seven. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings at, of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So they closed the gate. You know, they wanted to either keep more spies from coming in or they wanted to make sure the spies didn't escape. And so they closed down the gates. Either way, Rahab had sent them on a wild goose chase. Remember, that is where the, uh, uh, the Israelites had camped on the other side of the Jordan. So it would be natural if the spies went straight back to the Israelite camp. Then verse 8, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. So here we do see that the Israelites had developed a reputation among the people. These, these people that seemed to have the, uh, 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 God go before them that was helping them to win all their battles. And uh, how did Rahab know this? I read a lot of uh, commentaries on that. I'm going, well, how did she hear about this? Well, she did have a, well, her business was an innkeeper. <laughs> and of course she would hear stories lots and lots of stories from travelers from far and wide going you should hear about these people they are scary they are mighty and they're coming this way and everybody was terrified of the Israelites verse 10 for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt they had heard about that that God had parted the Red Sea when the Egyptians were, were bearing down on them. The Lord parted the Red Sea so the children of Israel could go through the Red Sea into safety. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. So let's look at these two guys. Uh, Sihon and, and Og kind of weird names, but hey, it's, you know, thousands of years ago. But what happened to these kings? Well, look at Sihon. Now, the people of Israel, they just wanted to go through the king of Sihon's land. And the king said, nope, I don't want you guys anywhere near my property. You can't go through. Well, instead of going all the way around his country, they said, nope, we're going to go through. And there was a great battle, and they completely annihilated King Sihon. And so they, they, after they do that, they left that area. They start traveling uh, to the next kingdom, King Og. 
said the same thing. No, I saw, I know what you did to King Sihon. You're not coming in here. And you would have thought they would understand that. Hey, if he just killed that king, then, you know, they can certainly uh, wreak havoc in his kingdom. But he didn't learn his lesson. And so he, they, he, he actually attacked the Israelites. And so, of course, there was a big battle, and the Israelites again won. And so news of this had spread all throughout the country, how scary these people were. And now they're basically at the gates of Jericho, and the people are going, no, 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 we can't have this happening. And the, both the, the kings that they're talking about here were very, very fierce warriors. And so the people knew that. And the, the children of Israel had, had, had fought and won against these fierce warriors. So verse 11 goes on to say, No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and earth below. So after hearing about the defeat of these kings, the people of Jericho were naturally terrified. But what was Rahab's reaction? I find this fascinating. Was she terrified? No, she wasn't. She said, your God is the supreme God of the heavens above everyone. She recognized who the God of the Israelites was. Verse 12 says, now swear to me by the Lord that she calls him Lord. This is Rahab the harlot is saying, swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. So notice that she had no doubt that Jericho was going to be conquered. It says, when you conquer Jericho, not if, when. It was only a matter of time. She knew it. She knew. And she was hoping that in payment for her help, that they would protect her and her family. Verse 14, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed, if you don't betray us. We will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. So the, the spies swore an oath that they would protect her. And as long as she kept her word and didn't tell the uh, Jericho king where they were, then they would be able to protect Rahab. And they swore this on their life. This was a, a very sacred oath that they were taking. In other words, their lives would be forfeited if any harm came to her family. Verse 15 and 16. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. So many of the residences in Jericho were built against the wall. They used that, that, that wall that circled all of Jericho as their back wall of their home. And many of them had uh, windows and such. And so that's what she's talking about. So... Um, 
And since she knew the land, she was telling them to go to the hill country. Now, when we travel to Israel, we get a look at Jericho. We don't get to go into Jericho. It is now Muslim-controlled, and um, Americans don't go in there. It's not safe for us to go. But what it is is you have the, the Jordan River, then there's a valley, and then uh, Jericho is up against some hills, and that's going west from the Jordan River. And so those hills is where she's telling them to go and hide. Why? Because she sent the soldiers to the Jordan River, remember? And so that's where the soldiers are looking for the spies. So she says, you guys go to the hill, stay there for a few days, should be safe in about three days or so. And then when the soldiers come back, you'll be able to see them when they all come in. Then you can make your way back to the Israelite camp. Verse 17, before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street, and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. So I think this is a very reasonable request, right? But I love when the, the, the two spies say, you know what, if you don't do as we say, if you do not stay in your house, if you try to escape outside of your house while we are attacking, I cannot, we cannot protect you. And isn't that what the Lord does for us? When we go outside his will, what happens? He can't protect us because we are now going against what he has asked us to do. I mean, can he? Of course, you know, he can cause anything to happen, but there's no guarantee of his protection. Because we, we are doing our own thing. So it's kind of the same thing. But she was to have the scarlet rope hanging outside her house as a sign to the other Israelites, Israelite warriors not to touch those inside that house. Verse 21. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet, scarlet rope hanging from the window. So let's look at the significance of this scarlet rope. Oftentimes it's called the scarlet thread. If you want to do a little side study on your own, uh, look it up on the internet, the scarlet thread. And basically it's woven all throughout scripture. Whenever we see it has something to do with, with God's redemption, redemption of us, of mankind. We see it all the time. And what does that scarlet represent? It's Jesus's blood. I mean, we saw it at, at, at Passover when they had to put the scarlet blood above the, the doorpost and everything. So it's an interesting study. And here we have a, a prostitute that is going to be redeemed and saved, but only if she throws the scarlet rope outside her, her window. So what happens next? After the spies leave, they go back to their camp. They tell Jericho, excuse me, they tell Joshua, and he, take, he makes up his battle plan, uh, which was given to him by the Lord. 
And we all know that story. Uh, the people march around, the Israelites march around the, the town for uh, a whole week, once a day. They would march around the town. The whole encampment would march around the town. Can you imagine how unnerving that must have been? They were probably sitting on the walls going, okay, when are they going to attack? And why are they marching around our wall? And so they did that for six days. And then on the seventh day, they walked around the wall seven times. And after the seventh time, you remember what happened? It's a Sunday school story, isn't it? Well, they blew their horns, they all shouted, and the walls came a-tumbling down. So, anyway, and... When all the Israelites went inside Jericho, uh, Rahab and her family were saved. And they actually brought her into their encampment. They took care of her. And is that the end of her story? No, no, there's more. She's again mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. We got the begets. Now listen to this. Abraham begot. Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, bear with me here, a lot of begots, Ram begot Amimabadad, I said that wrong, but you know what I mean, Amimabadad begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. And then Boaz begot Abed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and goes all the way down to who? Jesus. So Rahab, the harlot, a Canaanite, became a great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That really shows how God can redeem anyone and give them a purpose in their life. So Salmon married a, a Jew, married Rahab. And the speculation is that Salmon was one of the spies. But makes for a good story. They don't have any proof. But I think that's quite possible, huh? So what lessons can we learn from Rahab? And there's a lot in there. How does one go from a prostitute to a hero? You know what? That can only be the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So what is our first lesson? Number one, God changes hearts. He can change any heart. We cannot change hearts. We cannot change our own hearts. But God can. God can. Rahab lived in a very corrupt and evil society. In fact, the Canaanites were known for their pagan worship. And they were cruel. They were evil. They sacrificed children. They did all sorts of very deplorable things. And it doesn't say whether or not Rahab participated in these kind of things. But being a prostitute, that's kind of down there, isn't it? And so perhaps she did. So she had a lot to be redeemed from. But she trusted in the God of the Israelites. And you know what? God is in the business of changing lives. Isn't that what he's done for each one of us? When we said yes to Jesus... That Holy Spirit came in our heart and took up residence there, and now he's changing us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, does it say that it was, you know, they just kind of fixed up your old life? No. No, this is a complete new work. He, he takes that old, ugly heart that was, was within you and he replaces it with a brand new one. Rahab's life, her old life was gone. And she was now a new person. She was grafted in to the Israelite society. Likewise, it doesn't matter where we have been, what we have done. It doesn't matter how much bad things you did. God can still do the same thing he did for Rahab. When that Holy Spirit comes into your life, your heart is changed. And you may have done some terrible things in your lifetime. But when Jesus died on the cross for your sin, for my sin, even though our skin was as scarlet as the word says, he made us white as snow. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It doesn't matter what you did then, it's what you're doing with Jesus today, now. And the change in your life is going to happen. That is a promise. Philippians 1, 6, what does it tell us? Being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen very carefully to what's being said here. The good work will not be completed until we're with Jesus Christ. In other words, after we die, we become who God wants us to be. Now, most of you are probably saying, well, you know, I'm impatient. I don't want to wait that long. I don't want to wait until I die. I need to be like Jesus today. I get it. I want to be like Jesus today. But the Holy Spirit is going to do that work in your life and as a process until you go home to be with him. So until then, we will blow it. We will sin. But all we have to do is confess it. And the slate is wiped clean again. But the promise there is that the work will continue. But work, what work is he talking about? What is being done exactly? 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and through 18 tells us, it says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What's he talking about here? When we come to the Lord, a veil has, has been taken off of our eyes. We now see Jesus. We've all had this experience. When we received Christ, didn't you first hear the word of God and you knew in your heart that what they were saying was true? That means the veil was taken away. You had, you had to respond to the call of Jesus at that point. That's what's being talked about here. The veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I love that. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So what is that work that's being done? We're becoming more like Jesus. Isn't that great? We will be like him someday. We will have the, the amount of love that he has. We will have his attitudes, we'll have his patience, we'll have his care, we'll have the heart of Jesus. Of course, we're not going to be gods or anything like that, but we will have his heart. We'll be transformed into someone just like him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You would never blow it again. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait. And the process will be 
continuing in this life until we go home to be with him. And all we need is a little bit of faith. That's all we need. Remember last week, we just need a mustard seed of faith. And that leads us to our next lesson. Number, number two, faith causes action. Rahab, when she heard about the supreme God of the Israelites, she couldn't help but respond. She was already calling the God her Lord. Did you notice that? Which led to faith in God, and that led her to help out the Israelites, uh, the, the spies. In fact, she's also mentioned in Paul's Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11.31, listen to this. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, there we go again, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And when, when it says friendly here, that just means she helped them out. She showed them hospitality. I mean, and she did, I think, you know, she, she did more than, than just show them hospitality. She saved them from certain death. If they were caught, they were going to be put to death. She was going to be put to death if she was caught harboring the spies. But that took a lot of faith in God to be a traitor to your people. But Rahab first believed in the God of the Israelites, and that faith turned into action. I mean, did she do that perfectly? No, I mean, she, she still lied, but God did something mighty through her, didn't he? And James has a lot of, to say about her faith also. James 2.14 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? In other words, if you have true faith, it's going to bear out in your everyday lives, the actions, the way you, you act at work, the way you act at home. And then James goes on to say in James 2.25, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also... Also, faith is dead without good works. So first comes the faith, and then that faith leads to good works. You can't work hard and then have faith. It doesn't work that way. Because What does it say? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest we should boast. That's what it's talking about here. So if you have true faith, that leads to true works. Now, you may be saying that you just don't seem to have enough faith. You're always doubting. Well, welcome to the club. Don't we all do that? All right, just a show of hands. How many of you struggle with faith? Come on. Yeah, we all do. It is so hard sometimes to, to, you know, we get distracted, we get overwhelmed, and we forget about who God is. We forget that he is the supreme God of the Israelites. The same God that we serve today was the same God that the Israelites served back then. Romans ten seventeen though, tells us, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What's he talking about? Faith comes from hearing the words of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does the work in you when you are reading the word of God. You're getting to know your Savior. 
You can't have faith in something or someone that you don't know. So if you're struggling with trusting God, get to know him a little better. Read the Gospels. Find out who Jesus is. And as you read it, then the Holy Spirit is able to minister to you. You'll be able to have that faith in God because you're getting to know Jesus more. It's a beautiful thing. Whenever I'm struggling with faith, I read the Gospels. I go, okay, I need, I need a dose of Jesus here. And I'll read the Gospels and then I big sigh of relief and go, okay, all is well with my soul again. And we need those reminders. Always look to the Gospels. You might say, oh, I've read them over and over and over again. Well, unless you know them completely by heart, then you can read them, right? So lesson number three, God always has a plan. God has a plan for all of us. Here we have a woman who had a very sordid past. She was in a very difficult line of work. She was trapped in her sin. But God had a plan for her, just like he has plans for us. Now, you may be saying to yourself, not me. Things are just too messed up. God can't fix this. Of course he can. He made you from dirt. I think he can fix your problems. So, you know, maybe you're saying, well, you know, I've just sinned too much. How can God forgive me? Well, here we have Rahab the harlot, as she's been known for centuries, and he fixed her, didn't he? And you probably know circumstances over and over of drug addicts that have been, have been uh, redeemed, uh, drunkards who've been redeemed, homeless people who were just lost in sin redeemed. God is in the, the business of redeeming us from all sorts of things. There is nothing that is too big for him. And he wants us to set us free from all of those things. Jesus died on the cross just so we would be delivered from those things. I mean, perhaps Rahab thought that she would be a prostitute for the rest of her life. She was kind of stuck. I have actually talked to women who've said, I just don't know what to do. You know, I try to get out of that lifestyle, you know, and I just can't, you know, I, I get overwhelmed and then the bills start piling up and I think I need to go out and, and, and work a little bit more in that, in that field. And, you know, they feel like they're trapped, but God's telling you, you know what, that's a lie. That is such a lie. You are never trapped, trapped when you have God on your side. But God had a plan for her. He had it all worked out. And God has a plan for each one of us. I mean, can you imagine when she heard about the, the God of the Israelites? Perhaps she just started to, to hope. She dared to hope. I wonder if this God is powerful enough to help me. Help me in my situation. Help me get out of this line of work. She dared to hope. And that hope was not misplaced, amen, because God loved her and he had a plan. Listen to these scriptures when you put them all together. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Because you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. For we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the things he has planned for us long ago. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So Rahab's story is one that many of us can put ourselves into. Most of us can put ourselves into. So, you know, before we knew Jesus, we felt like we were trapped. We couldn't get out of the sin we found ourselves uh, just burdened down with. And we were listening to the lies, lies of the enemy, lies uh, people were telling us that, you know, you can't get out of that. You're just going to have to accept it. But God can change us. You know, he can, he can take away those addictions. He can take away your fears. He can take away your bitterness, your unforgiveness. He can make you whole because that's what he wants to do. What we saw in Rahab was a woman whose life looked to be going nowhere. She was sinking fast. But then God came, and when she saw that opportunity to change her life and grab hold of something special, something new, she grabbed hold of it, and she didn't let go. She was willing to sacrifice everything. She was willing to sacrifice her life in order to, to be introduced to the God of the Israelites. So was she a harlot or a hero? Hero for sure. How? How did this happen? Hebrews 10.23 tells us, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. But we have to hold fast. We can't just go about it willy-nilly. You know, we got to be serious about our faith. We have to put in the time of getting into his word. And then you'll be steadfast in the faith. And then when those, those bad times come and you're tempted or something like that, you know what? You know you can rely on God to get you through those things. Amen? All right, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. What an amazing story Rahab is. Lord, you took someone who looked to be hopeless. Probably the people of Jericho thought she was hopeless. Lord, I'm sure there are women in this room who sometimes feel like things are hopeless. But you are the God, the supreme God, Lord. And just as Rahab was able to put her trust in you, we can put our trust in you also. Because you're, sa you're the same as you were back then. You're the same today. You will be the same tomorrow. And we thank you for that. We praise you that you give us such hope that we can rely on you no matter what. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.